Hello and welcome to another edition of the Pro Wrestling Retrospect Podcast. I am your host, the boy wonder himself, Owen Anderson. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Before we start this week's show, I gotta bring on my other host, the host with the most, the loose cannon, psycho whatever. Okay, let's do it. Uh, He is David C. Anderson, aka my dad. Dad, what's going on, man? How are you? I am living life as only I can live it. Just living life, huh? Sitting down, getting ready to record episode four of our podcast. Can you believe it? We've made it four episodes now. It's crazy. Four episodes, man. It's only yesterday as we just started this podcast. Do you remember it? Yeah, it was four weeks ago. Oh, oh, sorry. All right, uh, so before we get started, everyone, uh, I want to remind you, please go follow uh, this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at PWRetrospectPod. Make sure to follow my dad, at David C. Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N. Make sure you're following me on Twitter and Instagram, at GiveMe underscore M-T-N-Do. And make sure to listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Anchor.fm or wherever fine podcasts are found. And uh, this week, for episode four, we are talking about, or covering, I should say, WWF, Mind Games, In Your House, from September 22nd, 1996. And before we get into Mind Games from 1996, we have a new segment this week to debut. We are going to debut The Collector's Corner with our very dear, close, personal, longtime friend, Kyle Peterson. Uh, Kyle is the most avid action figure collector I have ever met. And obviously, Owen and I are big into the action figure scene. So we are going to debut a new segment called The Collector's Corner with Kyle. And let's go to that now. And as promised, we are here with the debut edition of our newest segment here on the Pro Wrestling Retrospect Podcast, We have the Collector's Corner, and Owen and I are very privileged to be joined by the Pizza King himself, the man, the myth, the legend, Kyle Peterson. Kyle, welcome to your very own segment on the podcast. Wow, that's uh, that's, uh, way too nice of words. I don't know if I can follow up that introduction. Well, you better live up to it because uh, I built you up. But no, we're we're very excited. Owen and I are very excited to have you uh, come on the show and uh, want to diversify what it is that we do here on the podcast. We don't just talk about uh, old wrestling shows or even current wrestling. You know, we talk about everything. And and obviously, uh, Owen and I are very much into the wrestling figure collecting and action figure collecting. And so we put our heads together and we thought, who better? Then the man who has the greatest collection that I've ever seen come on the podcast and drop some knowledge about collecting, about what's currently going on in the hobby, and uh, just wanted to to give you more of a platform and and to spotlight all the work that you're doing uh, in the game. So uh, you know, today is uh, Friday, September 18th. And we are getting ready to uh, head into the fall time. So we know a lot of times for the, the toy business, you know, this is really where things start to ramp up 
as we get into the the holiday season. So in your travels throughout uh, the weeks here leading up into the holiday season, what's going on in the stores and and what is Kyle Peterson on the hunt for currently? Wow. Well, right now we're kind of in between resets. Uh, the big uh, reset, I guess, explaining a reset is the new sets in a store. The toy aisle gets revamped. Uh, thing, new figures come out. Old lines go away. That's kind of been the uh, M.O. of the last, I'd say, month or so. Uh, Walmart, Target, both putting a lot of new figures out. Um, I, I've been seeing all kinds of new stuff. I've been buying all kinds of new stuff, obviously. Um, but now we're getting to a little bit of the doldrums, the slow time of the year right before Christmas. Uh, you said it really well. This is where toys ramp up. I can't even remember what. It's something like, you know, 40% of the toys of the year are sold in like November, December. I don't know if that's 100%, but it's close to that. Uh, so this is the time of year where the stores usually get filled a, a lot more instead of maybe a once a week toy aisle fill. It could be every day for certain stores. Um, so it's really exciting times. Uh, there's also usually a, a reset of the aisles around October, uh, a mini reset, not as big as the one in August, but uh, a little smaller version um, where we see some more new figures out there and stuff like that. So I'm kind of ramping up, getting ready for that. Uh, David, you know, I've been out there searching. I've been hunting. I'm trying to find that new Masters of the uh, Universe line. Uh, I found them, uh, oh gosh, six weeks ago maybe, but it's been nothing since. I'm trying to find uh, Tila, Beastman, Evil Inn, and uh, what's the other one? Oh, Man at Arms. I'm trying to find those, but the key is I'm trying to find a mint on card, and then they have to be unpunched. Uh, the peg hole thing has to be full. So that's really what I'm hunting for right now. Uh, I was hunting for a Walgreens exclusive Moon Knight Marvel Legends figure. I finally gave up, which I very rarely ever give up. But uh, Mercari, one of the best friends in the collecting world, the Macari app, kind of like an eBay. I found uh, Moon Knight on there for $25 shipped. That's only a couple dollars more than what I'd find in the store. And as much as I love figure hunting and going into all these Walgreens stores, I said for two, three bucks extra, I think I'll call that good. I think that was a, probably a smart decision. Um, so that's kind of what's been going on in the stores. Obviously, a cheap plug for my YouTube channel. You search Kyle Peterson on uh, YouTube. You'll find me, and you'll find some wilderness hunter guy. Well, you can see me in the pizza costume and uh, all the action figure videos. That's how you know you got me. But cheap plug there. I did do an unboxing this week of Elite 79, the newest Mattel Elite set to uh, hit the stores. Or I guess not hit the stores yet, but hit uh, hit the online marketplaces. Uh, probably be in the stores in about a month from now. So that was a big thing this week was uh, Elite 79. Also unboxing a new Marvel Legends uh, Hawkeye and Wolverine 2-pack. Uh, also unboxing the brand new Super 7 Thundercats line. Uh, hot off the truck, uh, the Ultimate line. That's a, one I've been really excited for. Is, uh, I pre-ordered that a year and a half ago, and it finally came through the door. Um, and uh, Also got uh, one that, David, I'm sure you guys, Owen, you too, you might have some opinions on. But I did the unboxing of the new Bill Goldberg Bret Hart 2-pack Mattel Elite. Uh, a lot wrong with that pack, that's for sure. Um, but that's kind of what's been going on, at least this week, uh, for me. The stores, like I said, been a little quieter, getting ready for the big uh, Christmas start rush very soon. You know, you mentioned that you went to the Mercari app to buy that Marvel Legends figure. And, and for those who, who don't know, 
That's a big step for Kyle. Uh, Kyle and I have been friends now for a little over a year. Uh, we live in uh, neighboring towns and figured out online that we had dozens of mutual friends. And through the Major Wrestling Figure podcast, uh, cheap plug for them, we kind of connected and became friends. And, and now we're kind of attached to the hip. And as I got to know Kyle and, and got to understand who he is as a person and who he is as a collector. Uh, this is this is a madman. This is a man <laughs> who who refuses to go to the secondary market to get anything that's in the stores because uh, Kyle works uh, in in the retail industry and is is in the stores uh, pre-COVID uh, a lot. But now that things are starting to open up, you know, Kyle's doing a, a fair bit of traveling again, but ha- has never had an issue with finding things in the store. Again, his travels take him all over the Midwest here. And so when I got the text message a week or so ago that Kyle had thrown in the proverbial towel <laughs> and gone to Mercari, I I about fell out of my chair. <laughs> and you're exactly right. You know, the sad thing about this is too. So uh, I talked about this, so gosh, maybe two weeks ago on my YouTube channel, but I threw in the towel. You're exactly right. And then on the heels of that, they announced the next Walgreens exclusive is starting to hit the stores. It's an Iron Man uh, Walgreens exclusive, and the new G.I. Joe figures are starting to hit Walgreens. Uh, so I'm on the look for another Red Ninja. I'm kind of army building those. So I thought, hey, I'm done. I'm, I don't have to go to Walgreens anymore. Well, I'm going to be in Walgreens all over again. So I'll probably run into Moon Knights. I'll, you know, grip my teeth and be pretty upset about it because I'll say, oh, I paid that $2. Because uh, I got to get a deal, David. You know, I got to get a deal. That's what I got to get. So, yeah, I'm yeah telling you're exactly you, right. You, you should change your handle online to at got to get a deal. I mean, that's but but hey, here's the thing. So where where Kyle and I are vastly different collectors, Kyle has a mentality. Hashtag got to get a deal. <laughs> Me, not so much. I'm I'm impatient. I'll get out. And if I find something that I think is at a somewhat of a decent price, I'm just going to pull the trigger to say I'm done. But I can I can attest to this, and my wallet can attest to this, that after spending time over last year with Kyle, I've gotten a little more selective, and I, I don't necessarily rush to to pull the trigger. I uh, I'm looking to play the long game more on, on things, and and I'm really I'm not even playing the long game on things that are in the stores. I'm playing the long game on things that came out. 25 years ago, as I'm going back and, and looking at, you know, some old WCW figures and some other things that I'm, I'm looking to reacquire. And, you know, my my eBay search safe searches are, are full. My Mercari safe searches are full. I've got things that I'm clocking. And I, I just six months ago, I just would have pulled the trigger and bought it and, and be done. But I'm, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be more frugal. wise and, and more frugal and a better steward with my collecting budget. So um, my my credit card certainly uh, thanks you for that. <laughs> well, that's I'm exactly that way because I always put it in there. Hey, if I could save two, three dollars, all that adds up to get another figure. That's kind of how I've always based it as a kid. I'd be paying for deals, looking for deals, um, just trying to save because any money you save gets you that next figure. That's kind of how I've always uh, found it. Um, but I'm just like you when I'm wanting to find something on eBay. I mean, I am searching eBay, Mercari, Facebook groups. I'm trying to find the best deal. Even if that's 50 cents cheaper, um, I'm working on it. So I'm always hustling out there. It does take some time. And sometimes you got to ask yourself, wait, spending that 50 cents, uh, was that really 
you know, searching two hours to save 50 cents. Was that really worth it in the long run? I don't know, but I guess that's part of the fun of the, the hobby as well. So, so we, we touched on Marvel legends. We touched on Thundercats. We touched on, um, GI Joe. We, we've touched on a lot of things. So as we, as we start to, to wrap up, uh, the segment here this week, so, Give me give me one or two things that are are coming down the pike, whether it's something that's that's coming out here in the next couple weeks or in the next couple months. Uh, what are what are some some big things specifically to the wrestling genre that that Kyle Peterson is looking forward to adding to his collection? You know, wrestling wise, uh, you know, it's got to be probably AEW Series Two which is supposed to release online in October. So that means maybe late October, early November for the stores. However, I do think uh, AEW Series 1, there's probably going to be a restock. There has to be a restock. So I've got to think those are coming anytime. Uh, and in those restocks, we should see the 1 of 500, 1 of 1,000, uh, Cody and Jericho. And then for the people that haven't got them, the Brandy Rhodes, it's going to be involved in those. So uh, that's probably imminent. It has to be, you would think. Um, I don't know, but I would have to think those are coming. And then for wrestling wise, uh, like I said, I just got elite 79. So elites are a little bit on the, the back burner right now. I am looking for a target exclusive superstar, Billy Graham. Uh, I have one, but I need another one. I'm crazy. I need both heads. I'd also like to find one for my dad as my dad does, uh, enjoy superstar Billy Graham. So I'm looking for those guys. Um, and then I guess I'd be, uh, I almost forgot is we got store exclusives. We've got uh, the decade of dominance. Uh, Walmart exclusive line that's coming at the end of September. Uh, that is uh, figures that have been around for 10 years or uh, wrestlers that have been around the whole Mattel run. Uh, kind of a cool thing they've done there. And that's, uh, what is that? Natalia. I believe The Undertaker is in that line. Mark Henry. And there's one more. Um, I can't think off the top of my head, but uh, that's coming here. So for wrestling wise, there's that. And then just a handful of basics I'm looking for. Uh, that Mike Bennett first time in the line. There's a new Liv Morgan. Looking for those two. I don't do a lot of basics, as uh, you guys know. Um, but that's kind of what's coming up in wrestling right now. It's a little bit of a lull before the storm. I think November, October, November, December are going to be pretty crazy, uh, for the wallet especially. And if you would like to join Kyle on his crazy, wacky action figure collecting, you can definitely do that on YouTube. Kyle has a, a great YouTube channel. Again, just search Kyle Peterson. Uh, and I'm very proud to say that I was there at, at the beginning. So not quite a year ago, I talked Kyle into uh, doing a collection video, which you have to see uh, to get a full understanding of just the, the level of dedication that Kyle has given to the, the art, the craft, if you will, of collecting. And Kyle collects everything. He has uh, every... Mattel Elite. He has every Jack's Classic Superstar. He has every LJN. He is putting the finishing touches on the Jack's Ruthless Aggression Collection. He is putting the finishing touches on the Jack's uh, Bone Crunching Action Collection. Um, he's already doing the deep dive into the AEW series. So again, from from my perspective and from from what I've seen in the last 40 years of my life, there is no person that I know of that is more of a dedicated collector than Kyle. And and, and Kyle certainly has um, a, a multitude of, of other lines, both in wrestling and out of wrestling that I didn't mention. 
but again, Kyle launched his YouTube channel not even a year ago, is already well over 2,000 subscribers, is on the march for 3,000, and definitely would, would love to have you come along for the ride. So again, search him on YouTube, search Kyle Peterson, make sure that you subscribe to the channel. Kyle is a busy, busy man. He is working hard. He works 80 plus hours a week for his, uh, for his regular job and then is dedicated to pumping out daily content. And sometimes I've noticed Kyle in the last couple of weeks, you're even doing multiple videos a day. So, uh, there is no shortage of content from the Kyle Peterson brand. Uh, Kyle, if people want to follow you on Twitter and Instagram, how can they do that? Yeah, Twitter would be Sir Paul six four, uh, just like it sounds. And then on uh, Instagram, the underscore Kyle underscore Peterson. That's the Instagram handle. So a lot of good stuff, like David said, a lot of stuff going on. That is for sure. And we are going to make this a recurring segment. So uh, again, looking to branch out to some of the different things that that Owen and I enjoy. Um, collecting and, and talking about wrestling and even non-wrestling action figures. So uh, we're going to make this a recurring segment. So Kyle, very nice job for uh, week one and uh, make sure that you go out and buy a bunch of stuff so that we have things to talk about for next week. <laughs> Will do. See you later, guys. Again, our thanks to Kyle Peterson, AKA the pizza King for lending us his expert insight into the world of action figure collecting again make sure that you are subscribed to his youtube channel just search kyle peterson on youtube make sure you hit that subscribe button kyle's cranking out youtube content every single day make sure you follow him on twitter at sir paul 64 and follow him on instagram at the underscore kyle underscore peterson and now that we've shilled for the pizza king enough Let's get into our main event here this week, our retrospective review of WWF In Your House Mind Games. The show took place back on September 22nd, 1996 from the brand spanking new Philadelphia Core State Center, which is now the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, they did have 15,000 fans in attendance there that night for this event. Uh, the show opens with a video package spotlighting the participants of the main event, Mankind, and the reigning World Wrestling Federation champion, the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels. The video then turns its focus on the participants of tonight's final curtain match, the Bizarre Goldust, and The Undertaker. The video feature ends with a cool animated skull with the words Mind Games written across the forehead, while the skull is then wearing a Mankind mask as we come to a live shot of the arena. The capacity crowd is cheering when a pyrotechnics package opens the event. We're welcomed to the city of brotherly love by one Vincent Kennedy McMahon, who is at ringside with Jim Ross and Mr. Perfect. We're not even three minutes into the show, Owen, and we get the classic anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation line from VKM himself. I I have to ask you, like, do you think when Vince would say that, do you think he was like trying to give like a like a hint to the people at home, like, ooh, is something gonna happen? Maybe I just think that was part of of Vince's shtick to you know be grandiose and and overhyped and anything could happen in the WWF, pal. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, no, that's just that's how you know Vince did his commentary, and uh, I'm someone who I really enjoyed Vince's commentary. I know that uh, a lot of people don't, but that's fine. They can be wrong. Um, I loved Vince on commentary, um, starting from the '80s and here here in the mid '90s. Uh, but we talk about the commentary, you know, one thing that I have in my notes here that I wanted to mention is 
Mr. Perfect, while obviously everyone remembers as being a, a great wrestler, you know, certainly Intercontinental Champion and, and one of the, the greatest of all time, was a very, very strong commentator. Uh, when he came back to the World Wrestling Federation at the tail end of 1995, he went in the broadcast booth uh, for um, the pay-per-views and for superstars and you know, just watching the show and listening to the commentary, Mr. Perfect's run as a commentator doesn't get nearly the the credit that it should. Yeah, I was actually going to say Mr. Perfect definitely fit the commentary team perfectly, and uh, yeah, I, I think he was great. He was very enta- uh, sorry, he was very entertaining. He uh, would you know say, oh, you know, what about that, or you know, whatever, you know, what happened. I don't really have a good example, but yeah, he he was definitely a great commentator. So that takes us into our first match of the evening, and they're going to open it up hot with a Caribbean strap match featuring Justin Hawk Bradshaw with Uncle Zebekiah versus Savio Vega. And for those who may not be aware, the object of a strap match is that both men are connected to the leather strap by one of their wrists. The first man to drag his opponent and touch all four corners in succession without interruption is declared the winner. The leather strap is legal and can be used against your opponent. Uh, Justin Hawk Bradshaw would soon go on to become one half of the new Blackjacks in Blackjack Bradshaw, who would go on to become one half of the Acolytes, who would go on to become one half of the APA, who would then become the 2000s version of the Million Dollar Man, JBL. Bradshaw here giving Ed Leslie a run for the title of most gimmicks. Savio Vega is backstage with Kevin Kelly. Savio cuts a fiery promo going between English and Spanish. Basically, the gist is that Savio is going to whip Justin Hawk's butt. Savio runs to the ring, slides in, and is immediately cut off by Bradshaw, who begins whipping Savio with a leather strap. A couple of minutes into the match, the events unfold that make this match the only reason anyone would ever remember a Justin Hawk Bradshaw versus Savio Vega match. As Vega and Bradshaw are brawling on the outside, we see someone off camera spit beer in the direction of Savio Vega. The camera pans over and we see the Sandman in ECW gear standing on the guardrail. He then proceeds to smash the beer can on his head, which gets a fairly decent reaction from the live crowd. They are in Philadelphia. The camera shot also shows Paul Heyman and Tommy Dreamer sitting in the crowd next to the Sandman. As soon as Sandman smashes the beer can on his head, Heyman jumps up and attempts to restrain Sandman. The camera also shows Tommy Dreamer just as cool as can be, lounging back in the seat, playing it nonchalantly as, as if nothing's going on. The camera then tries not to shoot the ECW trio, but in the feed it switches to a different angle as the trio are trying to draw the attention of the crowd away from the match and focus solely on them. Vega and Bradshaw roll back in the ring as we see WWF personnel, most notably Gerald Briscoe, run down to ringside to try and de-escalate the situation. Vince on commentary acknowledges that there's a local wrestling organization here in Philadelphia clearly trying to make a name for themselves at the expense of the World Wrestling Federation. Vince says they will not continue to shoot this incident as the camera clearly has Sandman in view trying to get over the barricade in full view for the pay-per-view audience. Security gets the ECW trio out of the ringside area and the focus goes back to the match in the ring. Savio ends up getting the win over Bradshaw in 7 minutes and 9 seconds after both men each touch the three corners simultaneously with Vega getting the win by stopping or excuse me by slapping the turnbuckle of the fourth corner before Bradshaw. So let's take a, a couple minutes uh, Owen aside from the ECW angle what were your thoughts on the actual strap match? You know 
I'm, I've always liked strap matches. It's, it's a unique concept of a match of how you have the strap and you're supposed to uh, hit the four turnbuckles, and if you hit four, you win. It's, it's a very unique concept. Um, I'm not really a fan of either one of these two wrestlers. Um, I, b- before we, I gotta have to sidetrack. I actually did not know that Bradshaw, JBL, was in APA. I didn't find that out till like. I don't know, maybe three months ago. I and and you gotta remember, guys. I didn't really, I wasn't allowed to watch Attitude Era when I was younger. So I remember like watching it. I was like, that looks like JBL, and I go, oh yeah, it is JBL. But anyway, yeah, I, I think it was fine. You know, it it was a decent way to kick off the show because I mean, you know, a strap match is different because then you know because usually when you start a show, it's a singles match or a tag team match. But then you throw in a strap match. That's that's something different. So yeah, I, I think it was okay to start off the show. Something different. So yeah, it uh, it was it was a fine strap match. Um, but again, let's let's talk about the the angle of why anyone would ever remember this match. So we had the the angle of the ECW trio, as we're calling them here in, in our review. Uh, of course, Paul Heyman, the, the person in charge, the owner of ECW, along with the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer, uh, ECW based in Philadelphia, obviously the WWF running the show in Philadelphia. So remember, this is in September of 1996. So we are in the early stages of the New World Order. Eric Bischoff is leading WCW through a time period in which they are winning the Monday Night Wrestling Ratings War and for the first time have overtaken the World Wrestling Federation in the ratings. So here in September of 96, uh, Vince McMahon's WWF is no longer the top promotion in the United States. That's now WCW. So uh, McMahon had formulated a plan with Paul Heyman to essentially team up together to try and fend off Eric Bischoff's WCW because again, they were united in that their common enemy was Eric Bischoff. Uh, Heyman and McMahon both had the same perspective in that uh, Bischoff had been signing a lot of their wrestlers away from both ECW and the WWF. And so McMahon and Heyman decided that they would try to partner together and help each other as much as they could. And certainly uh, at that time, and really for their entire run, ECW was nowhere on the level ever that the WWF ever was. But certainly this angle that they shot on pay-per-view in Philadelphia helped get the exposure of ECW out there. Um, I can tell you that as a wrestling fan in 1996, I didn't have the internet. Um, And so my experience in watching wrestling was limited to what I saw on television every week. And so obviously I knew who Paul Heyman was from being Pauly Dangerously in WCW, but I had kind of heard of ECW just from seeing some of the signs in the crowd and you know maybe when I would go to the grocery store, the bookstore or whatever and, and check the Pro Wrestling Illustrated or the other non-WWF or WCW magazines would see, well, what's this ECW? So for me, this was the first time that I had ever seen ECW on television. And, I mean, I give them credit. It was definitely a unique angle. It helped get ECW over more than they ever had at any point in their history up until that point. And uh, was definitely something different. And, and one of the few times, if not the only time, that Vince McMahon has ever had to go to another promoter for help. 
Yeah, and uh, I'll share because I because uh, I was watching the show to for preparation for the show, and uh, I'll be honest, I actually thought it was a shoot, and I, I think I told you that I I was like because I, I and I know I'm I yeah, I don't know I just I remember like watching it and it was like. ECW was there, and I'm like, well, okay. Like, obviously, I know what ECW is. Like, you know, mo- most wrestling fans know what ECW or at, at that time is and now was. But, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a shoot because it was, you know, think about it. They had Paul Heyman, like, you know, holding back Sandman. And, like, and I noticed, like, the camera, yeah, it was on it, but it wasn't directly on it. Because usually with, when something is not planned, usually they try to steer more back and like kind of keep the shot like of what's going on away and more on the ring and on the action but and yeah and like to what my dad said of yes it was you could still very clearly see it but it wasn't as much so i thought i was like oh this is a shoot and then i asked you and you're like oh no 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 that that was a work and then you explained it to me and like like you pretty much just said of yes Vince McMahon teamed up with Paul Heyman to get ECW over because Vince was getting killed in the ratings because think about it guys nwo just i mean recently had just formed one of the greatest would it be fractions or factions sorry apologies uh you know and uh, it was a big deal because like who doesn't love the nwo so they were definitely uh vince definitely needed help and it was a i think it was a unique way to have another company come in because i mean vince has never done that but you could tell he was he was losing so yeah again very well done um very good was was done very well to to make it look real and to look believable that that the the wwf wasn't in on it but uh, again very very entertaining segment and would lead to more appearances uh from ecw on wwf tv in the months to come we then go to a video package for the match between Jim Cornette and Jose Lothario. For those who may not be familiar, Jose Lothario was Shawn Michaels' actual wrestling trainer and the man who broke Michaels into the business. Cornette and Lothario had been feuding by proxy as their respective competitors that they managed, Vader and Shawn Michaels, had been feuding through the summer of 1996. As Jim Cornette is making his way to the ring, we cut backstage to a shot down a long hallway of Razor, I'm using air quotes which you can't see, and Diesel air quote you can't see, attacking Savio Vega. As the cameraman runs down the hall to try and get a shot of Razor and Diesel, they head into a dressing room that locks behind them as the cameraman tries to open the door to no avail as an injured Savio Vega lies on the concrete floor writhing in pain. Let's take a minute and let's talk about this Razor and Diesel backstory. Again, there's, there's a lot of... There's a lot of angles on this show. So, again, we've mentioned here at this point in time in 1996, the NWO is the hottest thing in wrestling. Two of the the main men in that hottest angle in wrestling formerly worked in the World Wrestling Federation under those personas, Diesel and Razor Ramon. At this time, there was a lawsuit going on between WCW and the WWF. Uh, the WWF actually sued WCW because uh, they alleged that WCW was trying to create confusion in the marketplace because, as you remember, when Hall and Nash debuted in WCW, they didn't identify who they were. They didn't say what their names were. They didn't, say, they didn't identify themselves. 
they basically just used their persona. And very clearly, if you go back and watch that debut on Nitro, Scott Hall is talking like Razor Ramon. Um, Diesel didn't necessarily have a speech pattern, but uh, again, the intent was WCW was trying to create the image that Razor Ramon and Diesel from the WWF had shown up on WCW and wanted a wrestling war. Obviously, the WWF was not very happy about that, and they tried to sue, and it ended up in court for a couple of years. And as this is all going on, um, there's a, a famous story that you know Vince McMahon one day is is sitting in a in a meeting and trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do about this? And the suggestion is made, well, we own the intellectual property, we own Razor Ramon, we own Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Why can't we just get someone else to play them? It happens in TV shows and things when when an actor who plays a role decides to leave the show or they're forced out and the show continues with the character, they just do a swap and they bring someone new in to play that character. Why can't we do that in wrestling? Well, they tried. And so uh, this is heading towards the reveal of that. Um, one of the most interesting angles that that i can remember up until that point the wwf running um again at that time in 1996 i was watching both shows i was watching raw and nitro recording them both and about a month prior to this is when they really started the angle on television jim ross the announcer said that you know big daddy cool diesel and the bad guy razor ramon are on their way back to the world wrestling federation which of course caused a huge stir amongst wrestling fans and even caused a huge stir amongst the, the different wrestling companies. And so, you know, they they tried to walk that line as close as they could. And so um, while the idea was, was really good, the execution, obviously, uh, unless you're going to deliver Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, the, the men who are so identifiable with those two characters, this probably isn't going to end well. Yeah, um, and to add on of what you said, you know, about how Scott Hall came out on WCW when he made his debut, of how he talked like Razor Ramon. Absolutely, yes, he did. You know, he had the toothpick, he he flicked it at the camera, he talked like Razor, you know, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Absolutely. But I will say this, it's not like he went on Nitro and said, yeah, I'm Razor Ramon, I'm from the WWF. So I understand, like, why the WWF was mad. Like, well, okay, like, you... Like, clearly everyone knows you're Razor Ramon, but easy, like, remember, it's not like he went on, and same with Kevin Nash, didn't go on, I'm Diesel, I'm Big Daddy Cool, like, it's not like they did that. So, you know, like, but just, just to add on, but yeah, no, the, the fake Razor and fake Diesel, yes, it was interesting. Uh, I remember, you know, watching the clip of, all right, Razor, here he comes, and it's the fake Razor, and it's funny, people, like, get excited, and they just kind of go, What? And, like, even, like, when they did the fake Diesel, people are like, you got to be kidding me. Like, this? And so, yes, you know, to like you said, it was interesting. It's something they tried. Uh, clearly, it did not work. It backfired on them very much. But it's something they tried. So as we come back, uh, Jim Cornette is making his way down the aisle. And Cornette ends up burning more calories, cutting the pre-match promo on Jose Lothario than he did during the actual match. Thankfully... The WWF kept this match short. Lothario beat Cornette in 57 seconds. Again, Jose Lothario, former wrestler, so he should need very little time to dispose of Jim Cornette. 
We then cut backstage to the WWF Superstar line room as the wild man Mark Merrill with Sable and Farouk, complete with his blue Nerf foam helmet on his head, with Sonny are on the hotline talking about their match tomorrow night on Raw that will determine the new Intercontinental Champion. Of course, the title was vacated when the then-champion, Ahmed Johnson, was injured at the hands of Farouk. We come back into the arena as the loose cannon, Brian Pillman, makes his way out to the ring. For weeks, Pillman had proclaimed that he would have an interview with Brett the Hitman Hart live in Philadelphia during the pay-per-view. In actuality, Brett was on a bit of a sabbatical as he took the summer off after losing the World Wrestling Federation Championship to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania back in March. Hart would work a handful of dates for the WWF over the summer, mostly international dates, as we go then to a video clip from Bret Hart from last weekend while on a WWF overseas tour. Bret flat out says that Brian Pillman is a liar. He never agreed to be in Philadelphia for the pay-per-view, called Pillman a liar again. Bret then calls out his brother Owen, saying that he's a liar too, and tells both Owen and Pillman to never talk to him again as we go back live to Pillman in the ring. Brian Pillman cuts a promo on the city of Philadelphia, calling it a cesspool and a sewer. He says that he's going to bring some class to this event, and he calls out the King of Hearts, Owen Hart. Owen makes his way to the ring, complete with Slammy in tow. We then get a crowd shot of a girl in the crowd holding up a sign that reads, Owen Hart, King of Farts. Got some classy folks there in Philadelphia. Owen says that there had been a reconciliation between he and Brett over these last few months. He said that Brett had finally come to the realization that Owen was the better heart. He said that Brett was getting older, was slower, and just had to give the devil his due that Owen was better. And of course, Owen is full heel mode here. Brett never said that. Um, he said that the only reason that Brett didn't show up is because Brett is scared of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, Austin then heads to the ring with his generic Ringmaster theme song. This is just three months after winning the King of the Ring tournament, and you can already start to see Austin putting the pieces together of what his post-Ringmaster Stone Cold character is going to be. Austin says the whole world, and he knew that Bret wasn't going to show up. He said the bottom line is that when Stone Cold's in the house, Bret Hart is in his house because he's scared of Stone Cold. Pillman asks if Austin thinks Bret's a chicken. Austin says Brett doesn't even qualify as a chicken. He's the slimy substance that runs out the south of the chicken. Austin then says one of his iconic lines past the, the post-Austin 316 line, If you put the letter S in front of Hitman, you have my exact opinion of Bret Hart. Vince, of course, then has to feign outrage on the headset. Uh, Austin said that Brett's problem is he's always cared too much about what these people thought. Stone Cold never gave a rat's ass about what anybody thought. Austin finishes the segment by stating that if Brett were ever to come back to the WWF, they're going to meet in the ring, and Brett is going to be the one to get his ass whipped. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Of course, Vince immediately apologizes to the younger viewers for some of that commentary. What would you think of this segment, Owen? I thought it was great. It was awesome. Uh, and when you said uh, uh, the last line of Stone Cold, we should have had his theme song playing right now, so you might have to edit that in because i don't know how to do that but yeah it was great uh you know obviously bret hart you know like you said brett was taking the the summer off because he lost at wrestlemania which i think is a great match uh i i think it was really good you know owen hart at this point's one of the greatest heels in wwf you know and and he you know and uh wrestling i should say uh, but yeah, I think it was really cool, and you know, this was very early on in like Stone Cold Steve Austin, not not his career, but the Stone Cold gimmick, because obviously he was the ringmaster 
before he was really like the the stone cold Steve Austin. So uh, you you and like you said, putting the pieces together, he definitely was. You know, he had the vest, and he's you know he's got the shaved head. He's coming out. He's not wearing the white boots. He's jeans, and I, I don't know if they're sneaker boots, maybe I don't know something like that. But yeah, like you you know like you said, putting the pieces together. Next, we've got a video package of the debuting World's Strongest Man, Mark Henry, taking a tour of the sites around Philadelphia. That then takes us to our next match, which is actually for the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championships. Uh, Own Hart and the British Bulldog are taking on the champions, the Smoking Guns, who are accompanied by their manager, Sonny. As Owen and Davey are making their entrance without their manager, Jim Cornette, we cut backstage to handsome Doc Hendricks, who's in the first aid office. As Jim Cornette is being treated to by the medical staff, we see Cornette's attorney, Clarence Mason, being very animated and agitated with what's happened to Cornette earlier at the hands of Jose Lothario. Mason then has Cornette, who is clearly not all there mentally due to the beating he suffered earlier in the evening, sign this mystery piece of paper. Come on, doesn't Cornette know that you should never sign something without at least reading it first? and have all your mental faculties about you before signing something? Apparently not. Uh, smoking guns make their entrance, and there is clearly dissension in the ranks as Bart is all business, and Billy's more interested in paying attention to Sonny. It's a very unique dynamic here, as Owen and Bulldog are clearly the heels, and smoking guns are managed by Sonny, who's a heel. Bart's playing babyface, and Billy's kind of playing that love-struck tweener. During this match, the WWF had a giant poster of Sonny posing that would unravel from the lighting rig so all the fans in the arena and those at home could see it. As the pyro pops and the giant poster is revealed, someone has drawn all over Sonny's face, desecrating this photo. Sonny goes ballistic that her face has graffiti all over it. Uh, the poster has um, a mustache and devil horns and, and funny glasses on it. Um... The poster has written on it to Bulldog and Owen, all my love, Sonny. So clearly it's positioned that Owen and Davey are the ones behind this, which makes sense because they're the heels. Uh, during this match, Clarence Mason actually comes down to manage Owen and Davey. There's a great near-fall spot during the match where the guns hit their sidewinder double-team finishing move on the Bulldog. Clarence Mason jumps up on the apron to distract the referee, which allows Owen Hart to hit Billy Gunn with a flying forearm smash from the second turnbuckle. Bulldog covers gun, gets a 2 and 99 one hundredths count, which was uh, a, a good near-fall spot. One of the highlights of the match. Uh, the finish actually saw Bart have Bulldog up on his shoulder for the slam. Bulldog escapes and shoves Bart into the corner where Billy had his back turned to the action as he was looking at Sonny. Billy then turns around and sees Bart and thinks Bart pushed him, so he pushes Bart back. This allows Bulldog to scoop up Bart Gunn, hit him with the running power slam, and get the pin in 10 minutes and 59 seconds. There's actually a big babyface crowd pop here for the title change. Post-match, we see Sonny cut a promo on the guns and subsequently fires them as Billy chases after Sonny towards the locker room area as we go backstage to Kevin Kelly. Uh, I thought this wasn't a like terrible match. I thought it was a good tag team match because I've, I've always loved Owen Hart because I'm named after him, so I kind of have to like him. Uh, but obviously, I love Owen Hart, and I love the Bulldog. They were a great tag team. They were perfect for each other for a uh, tag team. Uh, and I, I did notice that, that uh, when Owen and Bulldog won, there was actually a pretty big reaction. They were the heels. So that, that shows you, like, oh, okay, like that, the fans like them. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think it was fine. I think it was a good tag team match, and it was a cool way to change the title and get a pretty good reaction. So. So backstage, we're in the bowels of the building as Kevin Kelly is with Mankind and Paul Bear. 
Paul Bear cuts a promo on The Undertaker, who actually he had just turned on the last month at SummerSlam. He says, Mankind will defeat Shawn Michaels and take the World Wrestling Federation title from him. Mankind says he wants to make Shawn feel the same pain he's felt his whole life. Says that it's his destiny to become the champion. We then come back to our next match, which is Jerry the King Lawler against Mark Henry. As Lawler is cutting a promo walking to the ring, we see a video clip of an encounter between Lawler and Henry earlier that morning on Superstars. Lawler throws hot coffee on Mark Henry there. And then we then see clips of these two doing a face-to-face segment that aired on the free-for-all pre-show before the actual pay-per-view began. Lawler slapped Henry and then bailed it out of the ring. So as Mark Henry makes his entrance, if you listen closely to the comments Ross and McMahon make, they're basically getting ready to apologize for Henry's in-ring skills or lack thereof. Ross says, quote, Mark Henry is not ready for in-ring competition, but he was challenged by Jerry Lawler and had to answer the challenge. McMahon then says, quote, absolutely, no doubt he's not ready. Then why the are you putting him in the ring on pay-per-view? Sadly, this match wasn't as short as Cornette and Lothario, but it was kept short as Henry defeated Lawler in 5 minutes and 13 seconds with a backbreaker. Post-match saw the new and improved Rockers, the team of Marty Jannetty and Leaf Cassidy, a.k.a. Al Snow, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley run in the ring to attack Henry. Henry dominates all of them, eventually pressing Helmsley up over his head and throwing him out to the floor onto the Rockers. Um, very unique debut for Mark Henry, again, coming off of the Olympics, the world's strongest man. Um, I thought it was very interesting that Vince and JR are basically warning the crowd that, hey, this guy's not ready for prime time, but yet we're going to put him in the ring anyway. Um, it was very, very apparent, you know, going back and watching his debut and then fast forwarding 24 years later, Mark Henry became a great in-ring competitor, a great superstar, a great character, was a part of so many memorable moments and matches and, and one of my favorites. But this definitely, this was, this was cringe. Yeah, and, you know, you got to remember, you know, what, was this like his first time? Like, if, like this was his first official match, you know? And they didn't, I don't, did they do that to Kurt Angle? Kind of like, oh, yeah. So, like, you know what I mean? It's it's frustrating because it's like, well, you don't know if he's going to be good. But, you know, it was his first time. So, uh, but, yeah, I love Mark Henry. Uh, you know, turned out to be, for a big guy, he could do a lot. Like, he, he'd do power slams. He, you know, do everything. So, I definitely think Mark Henry was great. But, yes, this match was very cringy. Got to start somewhere and just happy to see that, you know, definitely where he started is is not where he finished, and that's for sure. Absolutely. We then get an announcement that at next month's In Your House, which is titled Buried Alive, there would be the first ever Buried Alive match between The Undertaker and Mankind. The only way to win the match will be to bury your opponent in the grave that will be built in the graveyard on the floor of the arena in Indianapolis. I like those. Like, do you like those, like, setups? I've always liked those. They look kind of cool. Like, I, I don't remember. I'm, I apologize. I'm terrible at dates. But there's a SmackDown from, like, 1999 where it's, like, Taker and Big Show. And I think I want to say Mankind. I can't remember. It's I think it's Mankind someone else. But I've always loved that, like, setup. It just looks so cool to me. So We then have another video package built to the final curtain match. And then we come back from the video and we've got uh, Goldust getting ready to square off against The Undertaker. Uh, we come back, and Goldust is already in the ring. So I'm wondering, well, maybe are they running long on time? we got a big pop here. 
for the Undertaker entrance. They must be running short on time because there's no elaborate entrance for the Undertaker. He walks to the ring basically in the dark without his traditional hat and coat. He gets in the ring and he goes right after Gold Dust. What I found interesting was it was never really explained what a Final Curtain match is actually. It's basically a no disqualification match. Uh, again, this was a pretty standard 1996 Undertaker match. You know, at one point, Goldust threw some gold dust in the eyes of the dead man, which is pretty much as no DQ as this match got. Uh, Undertaker did end up defeating Goldust in about 10 minutes and 23 seconds, using the tombstone to get the victory. Yeah, I, it was definitely interesting because, and like you said, like I didn't know what a final curtain match, like I, I didn't know what that was. But like you said, no DQ match. So, you know, it makes sense. But yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about it, 1996 for The Undertaker, he's one of the biggest stars of the WWF, if you think about it. You know, obviously The Undertaker is one of the most uh, popular wrestlers of all time. But if you, you know, look back to 1996, yeah, it's definitely different. Uh, but yeah, one of the biggest stars. Love Undertaker. And I uh, uh, love Goldust, absolutely. But yeah, I, I think it was interesting because, I mean, I didn't, like like I said earlier, I didn't know what a, a final curtain match was. But otherwise, no, it, it was good. Kevin Kelly's backstage with Shawn Michaels. HBK talks about Mankind being the wackiest cat he's ever had to face in the ring. Uh, HBK gave the impression that he was very nervous as he kind of talked in circles and rambled on for a bit during this promo. Uh, the interview really put over the fact that Sean was nervous about having to face someone as crazy and der as deranged as mankind. So that takes us to the main event of the evening. This is for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. We have the challenger Mankind, uh, accompanied by his manager Paul Bearer, taking on the World Wrestling Federation Champion, the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels, who is accompanied by his manager Jose Lothario. We see the Druids, who these hooded masked men they wheel out a casket to the ring and paul barrow paul bearer follows behind them uh, the casket got to the ring the lid opens up and mankind sat straight up which i thought was a very cool visual and, and still cool to this day uh, big pop for the grandiose entrance for the champion michaels is out with his traditional pose in front of the the in-ring pyro this was a really good match up until the finish but we'll get to that both guys worked really hard so in September of 1996, Mankind is about six months into his WWF run. He spent the summer feuding with Undertaker and is now main eventing a pay-per-view with Shawn Michaels for the title. I'd say that's a pretty good first month, first six months in. Uh, lots of action both inside and outside the ring. There's a cool spot where Mankind pulls up the padding on the floor. Michaels ends up burying Mankind under the padding and then proceeds to jump on top of him with Mankind under the padding under the padding can't talk uh, starts stomping on it and uh, just was a was a cool spot a, a cool visual the early incarnation of the mankind character just it doesn't get the respect that it should um, i know everyone loves the lovable mankind and the goofy mankind that would come you know a couple years later but the the debut of mankind in 1996 is this very dark deranged character it is one that i just i don't think it it gets enough credit there's a spot in the match where Michaels is punching Mankind in the corner and he attempts to Irish whip Mankind across the ring to the opposite corner. Mankind doesn't go with it, which makes Michaels visibly frustrated. Michaels again tries to whip Mankind into the corner, but he reverses it. Michaels jumps up to the second rope as if he's going to hit Mankind with a flying crossbody, but Mankind doesn't follow him in from the opposite corner. Michaels then jumps down and audibly screams, come on, and goes back after Mankind in the corner. This was a planned spot. 
as Michaels was at the time having temper tantrums in the ring while working with Vader when things weren't going the way he thought they should or that they were supposed to. Mankind actually talks about this in his first book, and I guess to each their own, but I don't understand why you want to draw attention to the fact that you're letting people know it's a work when the point of pro wrestling is to get the audience to buy in what you're doing in the ring is real. Shrug emoji. Mankind did the spot where he catches his neck in between the top and middle ropes, and that's actually the same spot that caused him to lose his ear in Germany while on a WCW tour two years prior. At one point, Mankind attempts to put HBK in the empty casket during the match, which Michaels reversed out of, and that casket will come into play later. There's a big spot where Michaels and Mankind crash through the announce table from the second turnbuckle to the outside. Uh, again, back in that era, you know, table spots were, were not very prevalent in the World Wrestling Federation, so to see something like that, it's a big deal. They get back in the ring, and Michaels hits Mankind with, Mankind with a Van Daminator, kicking Mankind's head into the steel chair he was holding. Michaels goes for the cover, and you can see him say something to Earl Hebner, the referee, as the camera shot moves to the to show the ring, but also shows the entrance aisle. But nobody's coming. Camera cuts back to the straight-on view of the ring as Hebner makes the world's slowest two-count before Michaels hops up to cut off Vader, who slides into the ring and causing the disqualification in 26 minutes and 25 seconds. So clearly, Vader was late getting to the ring, that and the fact that his interference caused a DQ for such a strong match kind of really let the air out of the room, so to speak, for a moment. After HBK takes care of Vader, Paul Bear runs in and nails HBK with the urn. Sid, of all people, then runs down to chase Vader back up the aisle. Mankind then does this weird hulk up where he's motioning with his hand for the mandible claw and slaps it on HBK and, and takes him back down, rendering him unconscious. Mankind tells Paul Bearer to open the casket, and when Paul Bearer does, The Undertaker sits up inside the casket, jumps in the ring, goes after Mankind, throwing him over the top rope and chasing him backstage. Howard Finkel announces Shawn Michaels as the winner by disqualification, as HBK must pose to close out the show. This was one of Shawn Michaels' best matches of that first part of his career before the back injury. This was also a great showcase for Mankind as well. My personal opinion, Owen, is that the championship match, especially one of that caliber, should have a decisive winner. In my opinion, Mankind wouldn't have been hurt by losing to Shawn Michaels, but I understand why the decision was made to do, to do the disqualification finish. Overall, a great, great match. Yeah, I mean, it It was good, like you said earlier, till about the finish. Just It didn't really make a whole lot of sense. But otherwise, no, I mean, it was a really good match. You know, this is one of my favorite, like, parts of like Shawn Michaels career because as uh, some of you may know I'm a huge Shawn Michaels guy so definitely uh big Shawn Michaels you know like this is his like I'd say one of his best years and I'm not and I'll be honest I hate the year 1996 I hate it I haven't said it yet but it's like my least favorite year but I love Shawn Michaels uh but yeah and, and to add on to your uh point about mankind of how you know, the deranged mankind of how he's talking to rats and he's like looking at his hands and he's crazy yeah like it, it was great because it's like that dude is crazy uh and yeah and like you said of how people are more they like the the lovable mankind where he comes out in the button-down shirt and the tie and is more fun and and don't get me wrong i love that mankind it's it's more funny but you got to give some respect to the the mankind before the more lovable mankind in the attitude era but yeah it, it was very cool because i mean like like you honestly i mean obviously like it, we all know wrestling's a work but like 
you kind of are like, oh, dude, that that dude's crazy. <laughs> like, who talks to rats in the dark, you know? But it, it was really cool. But, yeah, to to for the, the main event, it, it was fine. I think, that honestly, out of this whole show, which I wasn't a huge fan of, this was probably the best match of the whole show. So that's what I would go with. Absolutely. No, this, by far and away, was the best match on the show. And, uh, you know, going back and, and watching this again, um, a show that really was a, a one, maybe two match show if you if you count the Undertaker Goldust match, but certainly you know this match more than made up for the fact that maybe the rest of them weren't as good or uh, or anything like that. But um, certainly a a great match. Definitely if you if you haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while, you should definitely go back and check it out. Like I said, one of Sean's best matches that first part of his career. Again, one of his best matches of his entire career, but certainly. One of the highlights of that first part of his career pre-back injury. And that is going to close the book on this week's retrospective review of WWF Mind Games. Uh, We hope you have enjoyed our conversation, our look back on this event. Uh, Owen, tell everyone what we're going to be discussing next week. Next week... We will be covering WrestleMania 22, one of my personal favorites. I would say it's probably my favorite WrestleMania or my second. I'd either go with WrestleMania 17 as my favorite, but we will cover that another day. But we're going to be covering WrestleMania 22. Really looking forward to going back and watching that show. Uh, We've got some good matches, some good angles to discuss there. As Owen mentioned, it is one of his favorite shows, which I think is crazy because he was about two years old when that show took place so for him to now be 16 and have a show that he was barely alive when it happened and to be able to remember any of that uh, is really really cool so definitely look forward to having that conversation next week again wrestlemania 22 that show will drop on friday as all of our shows drop each and every friday again find our shows on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify anchor pocket cast radio public anywhere fine podcasts are consumed we would also appreciate if you would please subscribe rate and review our show we got some five-star ratings in over this last week so we thank everyone for rating the show that certainly helps us out again make sure you are following the podcast on facebook instagram twitter at pw retrospect pod make sure you follow me on twitter and instagram at david c anderson a-n-d-e-r-s-e-n Owen, hit him with your at. My at is at give me underscore MTND. And that's going to do it here for this week. Thank you, as always, for your support and for checking us out. And we will talk to you again next week.